Thanks for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning. The final from Goodyear Ballpark out in Arizona. Yes, a spring training game. It's the Dodgers 9, the Indians 2. That's the latest game in a week full of ups and downs for the Indians. I'm Davey Barris, lifelong Cleveland baseball fan, and I want to talk about the actual game on the field, the thing I enjoy watching baseball being played. And if you have the MLB app, you were able to pick up a few of the away team feeds. The Dodgers broadcasted the game yesterday, so you actually were able you actually were able to watch baseball being played. And what an insane week. There's so much news. There's so much to talk about. Uh, this is the time where the, you know, the dominoes start falling into place as far as the roster goes. Guys getting cut. Guys getting sent down. There's a ton, a ton of news to talk about. I, I, on Thursday, I was thinking, what, what am I going to talk about this week? Am I going to get into the details of these spring training games? And within the last like 36 hours, the news has just exploded with the Indians. Hey, really quick before we get into it, if you're enjoying the show, please help it grow by leaving a rating and a review on whatever app you're listening on, especially if you're on Apple Podcasts. Help the show grow by letting people know what it's all about and how much we love baseball here on Cleveland Baseball Mornings. We've got an all-five-star review so far, which is awesome. Let's keep it going. Let's spread the word going into the 2021 season. Now, there's plenty of people out there, and I keep seeing this from beat reporters and other people that are covering the Indians, that the spring training games don't matter, that the stats from spring training don't matter. Yes and no. I mean, if it doesn't matter, why are we broadcasting the games? Why am I listening to Jim Rosenhaus on my drive home from work, uh, you know, when I could be listening to something else? Why am I, you know, pulling up Dodgers broadcast feeds of the games while I'm doing work yesterday? Yesterday, I had the Ohio State basketball game, which I forgot how much fun March basketball is, on one screen. I'm editing a podcast for work on another screen, and I got the Dodgers feed pulled up on my phone. It was a fun afternoon yesterday. If this doesn't matter, and it's not about the money, because if it was about the money, they'd be broadcasting the entire spring training, right? All 30-some games would be on STO. But they don't. They pick a few. I don't know why. There seems to be no rhyme or reason to it, but if these games really didn't matter, like why, why, why are we not out there just running drills, right, and taking batting practices? You know, what's the point of playing all these games? Yes, is to get the pitcher's arms in shape. Yes, is to get everybody up to speed to shake the rust off. But I got to imagine the reason you have such a large sample size is because sometimes it does matter. For first base right now, it matters. For Jake Bowers and Bobby Bradley. These games matter. For someone fighting for a roster spot where there's so many people blocking him, so many people in front of him, like Yu Cheng, these games matter. And we're going to get into him. Definitely going to talk about him today. Uh, For pitchers like Brian Shaw, who want to prove that they still have it, that they were able to work on their mechanics in the offseason and come in and, you know, be a difference maker in a bullpen again, these games matter. These stats do matter a little bit. So all the haters out there that are like, well, all these roster decisions are made. It's all the analytics are going to make these decisions anyways. Uh, Terry Francona already has his mind made up. It doesn't feel like that. It really doesn't feel like that for some positions. Yes, for Jose Ramirez, these games don't matter. Yes, for Cesar Hernandez, even though 
he is doing fantastic out in Arizona. Going the opposite way, dropping doubles into the left field corner. Um, yes, these games don't matter. This is just about shaking the rust off. It's about loosening up those legs. It's, yeah, it's all that stuff. All right, so let's get into it. Let's get into the news and the details because this whole thing has been, I'm going to use the term again, a domino effect that uh, started with the release of Billy Hamilton. Uh, They basically said, look, Billy, you're not making the team. You've got one hit so far this spring. You're not making this team. We're going to give you a chance, let you try to find another team to catch on to. So I believe he isn't officially cut yet. I believe he is in the alternate player pool, but he's on the way out. He's not making the team. You don't want to celebrate someone losing a job, but I'm really glad Billy Hamilton is not making this team. Uh, If he had hit 250, if he had like four or five hits so far this spring, there's a chance he'd be competing for the starting center field job. And with him leaving, that now opens a door for Ahmed Rosario to try center field. It hasn't been going so well for Oscar Mercado. He's hitting 222 so far this spring with a 541 OPS. So he's not lighting it up by any means. Bradley Zimmer is doing a little bit better, but. This opens a door for Ahmed Rosario to try to be a center fielder. It's happened before. There are tons and tons of examples of middle infielders who have transitioned to center field. It seems to be the easiest transition for an infielder to make because you don't have to worry as much about the spin on the ball. Left field and right field do get a little more spin on the ball. So reading those fly balls does take a little bit more challenge, where in center field, it's really about your athleticism. The only one that's tough to pick up is that ball coming right at you, right? And it's first step back. Let's see if Ahmed Rosario, I guarantee, I guarantee once we see him in games, he will make that mistake once, uh, where he'll take that jab step in and get burned over his head. So, Uh, We'll see, you know, it's more about athleticism and speed and breaking left, breaking right, uh, and watching out for that one right over your head. Um, So we'll see. We'll see how he does out there. He's apparently been playing in some of the B games. He's been shagging fly balls for a few days now out there uh, in the mornings. So I'm excited. I I hope we get to see him in the lineup this weekend and uh, we get to see him out there in one of the A games because if he could make that work, even if he's platooning, I think someone, I think maybe Terry Pluto said this morning, uh, possibly platooning with Bradley Zimmer, right? Zimmer hits from the left side, Rosario hits from the right side. That could work. That could actually work and give Mercado more time down in uh, down in AAA or at the alternate site because AAA is not starting for a month, which, which also messes things up, right? Normally, you could say, okay, we'll send a guy down to AAA. He'll play every day. That's not going to happen for the first month of the season. AAA is not going to get started till May. So if a guy does get sent down right now, he's just sitting around playing simulation games, which, I mean, as far as I'm concerned, if you're just worried about a guy getting reps, what's the difference between a simulation game and a AAA game? Like, they're still up there facing live pitching. They're facing a pitcher that's trying to strike them out. I got to imagine those guys at the alternate site, the pitchers, they don't want to get hit around. They want to show that they can strike guys out and they're ready to go if the team needs them. So I got to imagine the competition is going to be a little bit tough. So anyways, it does make some of these decisions interesting because instead of sending a guy down to get game at bats, you say, all right, we're just going to keep him on the roster then. 
So that is huge. Now, what that does, here's where the dominoes continue. Ahmed Rosario moving out to center field basically tells you that Andres Jimenez has won the starting shortstop job. His defense has been fantastic out there um, in Arizona. Terry Francona talks about all the time, we need a guy that we can trust to make all the routine plays. And then everything past that is a bonus, right? And you're going to get a ton of stuff past the routine plays. Like, Andres Jimenez has a chance to win a couple of gold gloves. I think he's really that talented on defense that you could be looking at another gold glove shortstop here in Cleveland. I'm not going to say that he is going to completely make you forget about Francisco Lindor, right? Like Lindor was the face of the franchise for a long time, and I know there's a ton of people out there that are still really mad that we couldn't sign him, really mad to see him in New York, and really mad at any Indians fans that point out that maybe everything wasn't perfect with Lindor. I know there was the news story about him taking a nap uh, during the rain delay in Game 7 of the World Series. Listen, I mean, yeah, it's a little strange. It's Game 7 of the World Series, but... If that's his, like, if that's how he keeps himself, maybe that's his routine during rain delays. I don't know. I don't know how he carries himself, how how he prepares, you know, for something like that. Maybe his thing is, look, I'm just going to, you don't know how long a rain delay is going to be. I'm just going to, I'm not going to get too high. I'm not going to get too low. I'm just going to keep myself cool and be ready to go when it, when the game starts back up. I don't know. Maybe that's his mentality. Maybe I'm just making that up. You know, they so they, they talk about how uh, Hayward, gives this impassioned speech for the Cubs, and Lindor takes a nap. That's the comparison they were basically making. So um, whatever happened, it's in the past now. It happened, and Lindor's not here, and Andres Jimenez is. And for, for one, I'm getting really excited about Andres Jimenez taking over the shortstop position in Cleveland. He's got a, a long legacy of shortstops uh, to live up to, and I think he can handle it. I really think you're going to be impressed with Andres Jimenez. So, he gets the starting shortstop job. Ahmed Rosario is now out in center field. What else does that free up? Well, Mike Freeman uh, was competing for the utility job. He's had it the last two seasons. And we find out that he just got traded to the Reds for cash, which obviously created a ton of jokes on Twitter. My brother was texting me jokes he said, uh, what, they couldn't get international bonus pool money? And I was like, hey, come on now. That's what I want for my birthday this year. I was like, I forget, forget a Lowe's gift card. Give me some international bonus pool money. Um, <laughs> yeah, what are you going to get from Mike Freeman? He's, not, he's nothing special. He had an okay season in 2019 for us. Uh, he hit 277. He had a 752 OPS. Uh, which is okay for a utility guy. Got 213 plate appearances, 177 official at-bats. Oh, that's 22 walks. Man, that's actually a decent... Seems like a lot of walks for only 213 plate appearances. Uh, last year, it was down a little bit. It was tough on him, probably. 237 batting average, only a 618 OPS. No home runs last year. He's a guy who's bounced around since 2016 been on well, how many different teams Arizona Seattle starts Seattle 2017 then goes to the Dodgers and the Cubs in 2017 Cubs in for one game in 2018 and then comes to us and becomes our utility guy Mike Freeman seems like a very nice person but 
There's nothing, there's nothing special there. We've seen in his whole career, no offense to Mike Freeman, but there hasn't really been anything special there. He's your standard utility guy. He was okay in 2019. Clearly, there wasn't much value for him because Reds didn't even give us a single A player. They gave us cash. So that, along with Ahmed Rosario trying center field, clears the road for Yu Chang. And I am incredibly excited. If you follow me on Twitter, you know that I am incredibly excited for Yu Cheng to get an opportunity here in Cleveland. He played a little bit in 2019. He played a little bit in 2020. Hasn't done much so far at the majors. At AAA, pretty good. A 748 OPS in 2019 at AAA. Uh, nine home runs. In 2018, uh, 13 home runs and uh, a 741 OPS. So not lighting the world on fire, but there's potential there. There's pop there. Uh, 24 home runs in AA in 2017. So there's definitely more pop in the bat when it comes to Yu Chang than there was for Mike Freeman. And he's changed things. We talked about this last week. He's changed his swing. He's opened up his hips, and it's working right now. He is crushing the ball right now in spring training. He's got uh, three home runs and 14 at-bats, five RBIs. He's got a 286 average. It's good for a 1.262 OPS. So he's over 1,000 OPS right now in spring. I know spring training stats don't matter that much, but it is great to see the way Yu Cheng is driving the ball right now out there in Arizona. Now, word is he's even been trying first base at us in, in a B game out there in some of the backfield games. And uh, if he can make first base work a little bit and he could play third, short, second, and first, I don't know if he's tried the outfield yet, a corner outfield spot. I remember them talking about that, but I don't know if he's tried it yet. If he can make that worse, that, that would be amazing. If he could play all four infield spots, be a super utility guy in the infield, I can see us getting him to those 200 at-bats that Mike Freeman got in 2019. I can see him maybe even getting up to 250, 300 at-bats. Yes, Cesar Hernandez and Jose Ramirez are probably going to play every day, but it gives you a chance to maybe DH those guys every now and then, give them a day off in the field. Um, if you don't love a matchup at first base, because remember, first base competition is uh, Jake Bowers and Bobby Bradley, both left-handed hitters. So if you don't love a matchup against a tough lefty, maybe Yu Chang can start a game at first base. So it opens up a lot of possibilities there. I think we can get him 250 at-bats. And I think he could probably hit 10 home runs in those 250 at-bats. I really think that there is some untapped power potential there. And when it comes time for Cesar Hernandez to move on, does Yu Chang take over a spot on the infield, just like Jose Ramirez did uh, you know, a few years ago when Jose Ramirez was coming up. If you remember, Jose Ramirez came up as kind of this super utility guy. That's the reason he played so many different positions early in his career. He even played the outfield. And eventually he sticks at third base. There's an opening at third base for regular at-bats. And Jose Ramirez sticks and becomes one of the best third basemen in baseball. Now, I'm not saying Yu Chang is Jose Ramirez, but I do, I do feel some similarities there. I do see similar potential, maybe. So... We'll see. We will see what if Yu Chang. Now, there's nothing official here. He has not officially made this roster at all. So we will see. But this is kind of how these dominoes um, 
you know, are falling. They're falling into place to set this up. So I've got high hopes for Yu Chang. I'm excited. Every time he hits a home run out in Arizona, I've been tweeting about it. Him and Bobby Bradley. I'm excited for both of them. So like I said, a ton of news, a ton of people moving around. Uh, the Mike Freeman news also came along with the news that a couple of guys were sent down to, it's not even the minor league camp anymore. It's to the like alternate alternate site or the, the, the alternate pool of players. So let's take a look at some of those names here. So the guys sent to the alternate site were Nolan Jones, uh, pitcher Scott Moss, Eli Morgan, Carlos Vargas, Gene Carlos Mejia, Kyle Dowdy and Billy Hamilton are, were sent to that kind of alternate uh, camp for depth, right? For uh, They might be the guys hanging out in Columbus or hanging out at Lake County when the season starts. So nothing official cutting Billy Hamilton yet, but he's not making the roster. And same with Kyle Dowdy. So none of these moves really surprising. We knew Scott Moss is going to be depth this year when it comes to starting pitching. He hasn't been too great so far. I guess his neck's been bothering him. Um, Nolan Jones, it's not a surprise just because he plays third base and Jose Ramirez is an MVP candidate at third base. So Nolan Jones is going to try the outfield. He said he's totally down for trying the outfield, which is great. He's an athletic guy. He's not intimidated by it at all. So I actually think that might stick. That might work. I mean, uh, Eddie Rosario is only here on a one-year deal. So Nolan Jones, could, could he be your starting left fielder next year? I don't know. Possibly. So I'd love to see him try first base too. They didn't say anything about first base. I mean, it makes sense, right? You think if a guy can handle third, he could probably handle first. There are definitely some different responsibilities, but when it comes to fielding the corner, fielding the position, I have no doubts that Nolan Jones can handle that. So we'll see how many different positions he plays once he gets down, uh, once those triple A games start. So not a ton of surprises there with the people that have been sent down so far. And there's going to be more. There are going to be a lot more, especially in the bullpen. There are a lot of guys. I'm, Terry Pluto talked about this morning that Brian Shaw is looking good, and he's probably going to make this roster. You know, what does that do? What does that do for the other guys out there? How does that move the pieces around? Anthony Ghosh has been looking really good. That fastball is really lively and uh you know there's a there's a chance he can make this bullpen too so there's going to be some names pushed around there are going to be some people definitely moving around in this bullpen i hate to say it but uh karen is not looking good so far and maybe he's just a guy that it doesn't work in arizona right the curveball doesn't work or something or uh, the commands does not seem to be there right now so karen i He's probably making this team, but he is a young guy. So uh, I don't know. That'd be crazy, right? If Karinchek didn't make this team coming out of camp when you're talking about him being the closer. So yeah, but I'm running out of places. I'm running out of spots in this bullpen uh, to fit these guys in. So it's going to be really interesting. Uh, will it affect the bench? Are they going to keep an extra guy in the bullpen? And will that affect the bench, right? Is, is there going to be a fifth outfielder that's not going to make it? If Yu Chang can play every position, can you only carry three guys on your bench and get away with that? So we'll see what happens there. The bullpen competition is definitely going to continue to churn. Um, 
In other news, the Indians were covered in the uh, 30 teams in 30 days on MLB Network. So there was a lot of fun interviews that came out of that. Uh, Chris Antonetti had a boring Chris Antonetti interview. He did say something interesting, though. And Brian, I think it was Brian Kenny who was interviewing him. He pushed him pretty hard. And Antonetti said that uh, he asked him about Jose Ramirez. Like, you know, what's the long-term plans for Jose Ramirez? And Antonetti said, we plan on building this team around Jose Ramirez. That's, that's a direct quote from Antonetti. i paraphrase a little bit. Almost a direct quote from Antonetti. So all you Indians fans that have been very concerned that Jose Ramirez was the next domino to fall, Antonetti basically said that Bieber and Jose Ramirez are the two guys that they are building this roster around right now. So... Hopefully, that gives you a little bit of confidence. And to be honest, Antonetti did not give away many details. I mean, he asked him a lot of tough questions, and he did not give any details about the way they handle analytics, about the shift, about which we'll get into in a second with those new minor league rules, uh, you know, about how they develop pitchers. And Antonetti gave his best political non-answers that he possibly could just talking around everything like yeah you know we have a real strong organization here and and everybody from our pitching coordinators to our coaches to our analytics people are all really in line with each other when it comes to these young pitchers I'm like okay no detail there but a good enough answer for MLB Network interview but the one concrete thing he did say was they're building this thing around Jose Ramirez and Shane Bieber so I know we're having a little bit of trouble right now uh, believing the things Antonetti says after this Mickey Calloway stuff. So remember this interview. Remember this interview because it will tell you a lot of what happens with the future of Jose Ramirez and if you can believe anything that comes out of Antonetti's mouth. So baseball executives are just like politicians sometimes. Sometimes they just tell you what you want to hear. Hopefully this time he's telling the truth on this one. There were also good videos about Roberto Perez and the way he frames pitches, which was really interesting to see. They were comparing him to Gary Sanchez, and it's so subtle what Roberto Perez does. It's so subtle, just bringing a curveball right back over the edge of the plate or something like that, or bringing a pitch up from the bottom just to the guy's knees, just enough to get that call. Whereas they were showing Gary Sanchez, who was basically moving from the batter's shin up to his belt. I mean, literally picking up his whole glove and moving it a foot up on the pitch. And he wasn't getting any calls. Meanwhile, Roberto Perez is doing these little tiny, these very smooth motions as he's framing these pitches. And he's getting these calls. I mean, when you look at these pitches again, and when they slow him down on MLB Network, these things are outside the zone, and Roberto Perez is bringing them back in for strike three. And, I mean, that's huge. That is absolutely why the Indians are committing so much money to the catching position. Now, it, it, half of it is it just happened that way. Like, I doubt they intended catcher to be the position they spent the most money on in 2021, but because other guys have come and gone, other guys are on rookie deals, it just, the flow of the payroll has turned out that way. But... You understand why Roberto Perez is worth the money when you see what he does for the pitchers. And if this team is built on pitching, then catching is an integral part of that. 
So more interesting stuff. Uh, the rest were just kind of fun. You know, Jose Ramirez talked about kind of being, uh, you know, the leader on the team right now and, you know, the attitude in camp. And the rest of them were kind of fluff interviews. Zach Plesek talked about, uh, you know, adding a new pitch. I think he's working on a curveball this spring. And it's the kind of stuff you expect to hear coming out of spring training. All right, more news. The news just keeps on rolling on. Shane Bieber, has they've announced that he will be the opening day starter. No surprise there. The reigning Cy Young Award winner. Uh, but it's always fun uh, when the coach makes that announcement. I think he, he might have heard. I think he might have found out doing this his interview with MLB Network. Because uh, they told him, you know, how do you feel about that? And uh, so that's fun. Uh Second straight opening day start for Shane Bieber. So yeah, he's the ace. He's ace Bieber. He, uh, a lot, a lot of how this season is going to go is in his hands and what he can do taking the ball every five days. So more fun news coming out of Indian Spring Training. Uh, I want to talk about, there is some serious news to talk about, but I want to talk for a second about Ahmed Rosario going out into center field. And we can try to get into some stats here. But basically, I pulled up the stats for every center fielder uh, in the 2020 season. Now, I know it's a shortened season, so we're kind of going to have to just go with the, um, you know, with the, the percentage stats here. But as far as batting average goes, right? Mike Yastrzemski actually led all center fielders in batting average at 297. Ahmed Rosario last year was a 252 hitter, which puts him around 11th, 12th as far as center fielders go in batting average. Puts him around Ian Happ, Trent Grisham in San Diego, Ronald Acuna actually in Atlanta, which you'll see why batting average does not really affect. Cody Bellinger actually only hit 239. Um, Obviously went on to lead them to a World Series, but in the regular season, uh, obviously Garcia in Milwaukee, that's kind of the company he's keeping as far as batting average goes. OPS, a much more a much more telling number because now Mike Trout is one at 993, Ronald Acuna is two at 987. All right, so a much more telling number, OPS. Last year, he came in at only a 643 OPS which puts him at the bottom. It puts him with Avisil Garcia in Milwaukee and above Victor Robles in Washington. So he's not, as far as center fielders go, there are some center fielders that can really hit the ball, that have some decent on-base percentages, that have some decent slugging percentages, and can do a lot of damage. And so Ahmed Rosario, sometimes when a guy moves to a different position, you wonder, like, how do his stats, how does, how does that bat? profile in that position, right? You Like you expect third base and first base to be big power hitting positions. You expect your corner outfielders to give you some power. Uh, center field, you get away a little bit more with being an average guy, with being a speed guy. Uh, he does have some decent stolen bases. Uh, he had 24 stolen bases in 2018, 19 stolen bases in um, 2019, although he was caught 10 times. Didn't have any steals last year and was caught once, but weird season. 2020 it was a weird season. So, uh, yeah, his OPS, his career OPS is 705. 705 still puts him around Victor Reyes and Ramon 
Liriano in Oakland, Victor Reyes in Detroit. Not great. Not great. Still middle of the to bottom of the pack as far as center fielders go. So his bat doesn't necessarily like jump up the rankings by moving from shortstop to center field, but you never know. He he is he does have some potential there. He was a very highly rated prospect, and he did have a pretty decent 2019 season. It was a 755 OPS. Definitely his best season was 2019. So how much did the pandemic affect him? How much did 2020 affect him? And what could he do getting 400 at-bats, 500 at-bats from center field in the 2021 season? So just an interesting look at how his bat profiles moving out to center field. I did get a tweet this week from Clark 333 and he said, he tweeted at me and Mandy Bell and said, enjoy listening to the podcast. I played college baseball until I was 40 in adult leagues, so I know a little bit about the game. A shortstop is your best athlete and fielder on the team. With that said, they need to put Rosario in center and Chang in left. Now, I don't know about Chang in left, but... He's He was definitely on this Rosario and center, and I agree with him. Yeah, the shortstop should be your most athletic player. Now, there are times I've seen shortstops. We've seen infielders go out there, and they just cannot track a fly ball. Sometimes it just does not translate. The spin on the ball, the depth. I mean, when a ball's hit over your head as an outfielder, you got to picking that up is difficult, right? That's why we tell all the outfielders first step back. So uh, it's never a guarantee, but I agree with our Clark 333 here that you should be able to make that transition if you're that good of an athlete. And it's something that the Indians have to consider because they have been stockpiling shortstops. They've been stockpiling middle infielders in their system. They have Arias. They have Owen Miller. They've got Freeman coming up. They have a ton of really good young middle infielders, and they're going to have to find spots for all these guys. So... The plan, the rumor is that, you know, they take these guys because they know they're super athletic and then they can move them around the field if they have to. So this is the first example of this. So we'll see our Clark 333. We will see if Rosario can do it out in center field. All right. Some of the serious news. Um, Major League Baseball is making some changes to some rules, which is interesting. They're going to test a bunch of things out in the minor leagues. One thing they're testing in AAA, not that big of a change, larger bases. They're going to go from 15 inches square to 18 inches square. That's actually a decent, that's a decent size change there. Um, they're hoping that it uh, will prevent collisions and injury. That's, that's really what they're trying to prevent. And uh, honestly, it's something we talk about in old man softball all the time. And if you've just started listening to me, you'll know that I, I play in a Sunday morning old man softball league here in Cleveland, even though I'm not that much of an old man myself. Um, and it's fun and I love baseball and I love being out there, but yeah, collisions on the bases are, they could be nasty. They could be really nasty. So they don't think that this will change the success rate of stolen bases that much, but it's definitely something that they're going to monitor. Um, so also, you know, ground balls deep in the hole, bunt attempts, like it could affect all those things. That fraction of an inch, that bang, bang at first place, the difference between an 18-inch base and a 15-inch base might make the difference. So it's something they're trying out at AAA. 
uh, in double A, now this is the one. This is where it starts to get controversial. In double A, they are limiting the shift. They Right now, the rule is that all infielders must have their feet on the dirt, which means no second baseman playing short right field. All infielders must have their feet on the dirt. They have not set this yet, but based on how this goes, they may require two infielders on each side of second base, which, I mean, obviously, if you've watched Major League Baseball at all for the last four years, five years, you know how much this shift has exploded. It's up something like 33% of the time the defense is in a shift or something like that. I don't love this. I don't. Don't blame the defense just because they are able to use analytics to figure out where these hitters are going to go with the ball. Blame the hitters for not being able to adjust their approach and use this whole field and you go up the middle or go opposite field. I know it's tough. I know it is really tough when a guy is throwing a 96-mile-per-hour fastball with movement. I know it's really tough to say hit to the opposite field. Much easier in old man softball. But still, as a baseball player, it's your job. It's your job to be able to react and to be able to use the whole field. It's something that they should be teaching kids now, how to use the whole field, how to hit the opposite way, how to stay back on a ball, keep your hips closed, keep your eye on it. So I don't love that they're trying to make a rule to let these guys, uh, basically to let these guys hit more, to see more base hits, to see more rallies, to see more singles through the, you know, through the right side or see more doubles in the gap. I don't love it. I don't love it. I'd rather much rather see the hitters adjust to what the defense is doing than the defense be limited in what they can do to stop a hitter. We'll see how it goes, though. I, I mean, maybe maybe if you're a double-A fan, if you're down there watching the Akron Rubber Ducks, you could tell me, hey, Davey, this is actually really exciting. It actually makes for some fun rallies, and it makes for some fun baseball, and I, I'll give it a chance. I mean, I'm glad they're doing these things in the minor league and not just jumping into the major leagues. All right, in a high A ball, uh, there's new rules about the pitcher stepping off the rubber, and uh, okay, whatever. Um, low A, now this is where it gets interesting. They're going to continue, they're going to limit the amount of step-offs or pick-offs. I don't love that. I, you're not... You're not going to speed up the game of baseball by making one rule change. I'm sorry, you're not. Baseball is a slow game. There are innings that take a long time. It's just the nature of the game. You're just not going to speed up baseball. You're not going to shave a half hour off baseball like you want to. It's not going to happen. Football games are getting longer. Baseball games are long. Basketball games still move pretty fast. So, yeah, so I don't love this. And then they're going to continue to use the automatic ball strike system in the low A Southeast League. Um, so, yeah, so they're going to continue to try testing robot umps in these uh, Atlantic leagues and the Arizona Fall Leagues and other low A leagues, which I'm okay with. What I would love to see, and I tweeted this out, what I'd love to see is not robot umpires in Major League Baseball. I'm someone who enjoys the human element of umpires. I think it's integral. It's integral to all sports. It's something that we have in all sports. And as long as a guy can be consistent, I'm okay with him having 
a slightly wider strike zone or a straightly narrow strike zone, or, you know, he gives you the low pitch, he gives you the high pitch, as long as he's consistent with that, because the pitchers can adapt to that, right? It becomes a game. It becomes a mental game. Now, what would be fun is using the robot umpire the way they use line calls in tennis. In tennis, if you think that your shot hit the line, you can quickly challenge it. They quickly go to the replay to the because they've got whatever track system they use, and they can show exactly where that ball landed, and they either give the point or they don't. Why can't we have that in baseball? Why can't we have the the uh, do you want the managers to do it or do you want the hitters to be able to trigger it? Probably the managers. Uh, maybe three, four times a game, because I think there is a limit in tennis on how many times they can do that. Correct me if I'm wrong. What if the manager, in a really tight situation, or when he's got a rally going and doesn't want it to die, or just to give one of his hitters a chance, what if a pitch comes in, it's clearly outside, you know, a curveball that broke outside, the pitcher gets the call, the manager goes, up, ah, challenge, they go up to the booth, they quickly review it, and boom, we know exactly where that pitch landed, and boom, we've got an updated call on the field within seconds. Why can't we have that? We don't need to go put headsets on. We don't need to just point up to the press box. They watch the replay in the press box. The pitch track that they have, we watch the pitch track on our broadcasts, and we can see it already. And they just, the PA announcer rules... Call change, strike two. Call change, ball three. Why can't we have something as simple and as quick as that using this ABS system, this automatic ball strike system? I think it would be an interesting addition to replay and to challenges in baseball. So I do not want to see full-time robot umpires, but I think that is something that could eventually find its way into Major League Baseball. All right, continuing on some serious news. Um, Paul Dolan finally said something about Mickey Calloway, and it's it's what you would expect. Um, he said, this is deeply troubling to me. It is clear that we have not done enough to build the inclusive culture we strive to create. So there we go. You at least have the Indians admitting that they've had a failure in culture. They do say the stuff with the the you know the extramarital affair with the other guy's wife and things like that. That was an external relationship and did not impact uh, the team. So they do kind of push that one off. But Dolan does kind of make it seem like he didn't really know many of the details of these things, and you know he's troubled by these reports, and that they're gonna get to the bottom of it. So. Again, it's kind of what you'd expect. You know, this kind of we didn't know, but we're willing to change kind of statement. So, again, they're going to say this whole we're going to let our actions speak louder than our words uh, mentality. That's the message that's going to continue here from the Indians. So, again, now we have to hold their actions accountable. And I don't know if we're going to get another report. I don't know if we're going to get a follow up on this, but. Hopefully we do. Hopefully, uh, you know, someone can talk to the women that work for the Cleveland Indians and let us know if things are changing and if things are better in the workplace and if they feel more comfortable in the workplace because that's important. That is absolutely important. So 
that is the update on uh, the Indians and the Mickey Calloway situation. Mickey Calloway is still suspended. He is not around a Major League Baseball team right now. And then uh, in sad news, I know he was the longtime broadcaster for the Cavs, but he also called Indians games back in the day, uh, the passing of Joe Tate. And, you know, he was up there in age. He was 83, and he'd been battling for a while, uh, kidney disease and liver cancer. But we lost Joe Tate a few days ago, and... I'll always remember uh, falling asleep. I had the old clock radio in my room. If everyone remembers from the 90s, those old little clock radios, and you could set it to the one-hour timer so that the radio would cut off after an hour. And I'd fall asleep as a kid listening to Joe Tate call basketball games, to wham with the right hand and going from left to right on your radio dial. And all the classic ways that Joe Tate found to describe a basketball game. So... Never got a chance to meet him in person. I don't think. Maybe when I was doing Les Levine's show, I got to meet him. I'm not sure. But uh, definitely, definitely a uh, an important part of my childhood. And the reason, probably the reason I love listening to games on the radio so much. I will listen to a basketball game on the radio. I know it's hard to follow for most people, but Joe Tate made it easy. Joe Tate made you know exactly where the ball was moving. And uh, he was just, he was great at keeping up with the game and painting that picture. So definitely Joe Tate, a legend in Cleveland broadcasting. It's actually the third legend we've lost. They always say celebrity deaths come in threes. And uh, Les Levine and Michael Stanley and now Joe Tate. So thank you, Joe Tate, for all those years of calling great Cavs games and those years you spent doing those Indians games too. And in even more news, I've been talking about this for the last few podcasts, but The Athletic has finally picked a winning nickname for the Cleveland Indians moving forward. It came down to the Guardians versus the Commodores, the Guardians winning in an upset over the Spiders. So our finals was Guardians, which was the 13 seed, versus the Commodores, which was the 2 seed. And the Guardians, you have voted and you have chosen the Guardians as the new nickname for the Cleveland Indians, at least through the Athletic. It won with 56% of the votes, so it wasn't a runaway victory here. A lot of people voting for the Commodores. They said they had 40,000 votes on this thing, so uh, you know that's a lot. That is a lot of votes. So it was interesting, actually, I believe earlier in the week on the Texas Rangers broadcast of the game it was one of those days where the indians weren't doing a radio broadcast the only broadcast was the rangers they talked about this they spent like three innings talking about this and it's one of those things where people say would anyone outside of cleveland understand what guardians meant and they did not they had no clue why we picked guardians eventually they dug into the article and realized that it was for the guardians of traffic the statues outside the stadium and it, it, they made the connection there. So same thing with Commodores. They didn't even think about the nautical terms of Commodores. All they thought about was the old music group, the Commodores. So uh, it doesn't help that that's the photo that the Athletic used for Commodores was a picture of them. So, yeah. So would people outside of Cleveland know? No. Does that matter to us Clevelanders? Nah. They'll learn. They'll find out what the Guardians means. So... That's the vote there from The Athletic. Again, some fun stuff going on this spring. We'll see if this has any impact. If the name that they pick for the 2022 season is even on this list of 240 nicknames or whatever that The Athletic started with. 
uh, or if they completely pull a random name uh, out of their hats. So that's all my thoughts. Thanks for joining me on this Cleveland baseball morning. Coming up this weekend, the spring training games continue. Plesak is taking the mound against the Giants later today at 3 o'clock. That one looks like it's going to be a radio broadcast. And then they're actually off on Sunday. They got an off day on Sunday, and then they'll be back. They haven't announced the pitcher against the Athletics on Monday. And it looks like another radio game on Monday. So more Jim Rosenhaus for you uh, this weekend and into next week. And remember, Daylight Savings, those games move to 4 o'clock Eastern starts. Uh, starting next week. So that's all my thoughts. Thanks for joining me on this Cleveland baseball morning. You can follow me on Twitter at Davey Barris. You can email the show at clevelandbaseballmornings at gmail.com. I'm open to your comments. I definitely want to hear from you and hear your comments. Let me know your thoughts and we'll discuss them on the show. Also, I'm hosting this podcast on Anchor. So if you go to anchor.fm forward slash Cleveland baseball mornings, you can leave a voicemail for the show. I'm pretty sure it's in the show description. There's a little link you can click. Leave a voicemail for the show. We'll play them back on air and respond to your thoughts and have a fun conversation amongst the fans about baseball. So thanks again for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning.